Uh, good morning. My name's Ethan, Ethan Cunningham. Uh, my wife and I just moved here recently in about September. For those of you who weren't here on Wednesday night, I spoke and kind of shared a little bit, but um, we're happy to be here. And like I told them on Wednesday night, I love the Lord. I love the word. Uh, it's full of scripture today. Uh, plenty of stuff for you to maybe take some notes down. Uh, if you got an Apple device, you can take it out. If you have an Android, you can leave it in your pocket. Um, you can put it under the chair, put it under your feet. Um, but I believe the Lord will speak to you today if you will listen. Um, I want to first thank uh, Pastor Glenn for allowing me to be able to speak today. Um, I know that this isn't something that he does very often, so I just wanted to say thank you. I'm very appreciative of it. So I want to know, has anybody ever had visions? Uh, you've ever seen something in your mind's eye, uh, you know, that, that maybe hasn't happened yet. You maybe see yourself doing things like you see yourself getting the promotion at work uh, and you get excited. Uh, maybe singing on stage. I've had that a couple of times um, before I started singing on stage, uh, which I don't do it here, but uh, no, no, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But, um, and it, it brought about nervous feelings for me. Um, and then how about preaching in front of others? Uh, you get scared to death. And I said uh, years ago that I would never be on stage preaching, but here I am. And um, what about things you've seen? Newborn babies uh, can just make everyone smile, even the hardest hearts it can make smile. Or, you know, maybe on 9-11 when the planes crashed into the Twin Towers, it brought about fear. Things you see, visions can change us. Visions can change us. And today I want to talk about somebody who had a vision of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 is where we're going to be today. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. So Isaiah had an incredible vision of God in the year that King Uzziah died. And the text records the events that occurred while Isaiah worshipped the Lord uh, because he was near the altar of the temple. I don't know about you. I wonder how we would have responded uh, if we had the same vision. Would it be awe? Would we feel fear? Would we feel joy? Or would we feel peace? For Isaiah, the effect of that encounter was different from what we might imagine. Instead, he felt deeply unworthy. And this encounter with God raises an important question about real worship. As we worship, what would happen to us if we began to see God more clearly? So we've been in a series entitled, When Jesus Shows Up. Today, it's going to be, When Jesus Shows Up in Our Worship. In this chapter, Isaiah is called to be a prophet, and so I want to look at four outcomes that he experienced all from worship, each illustrating an aspect of our relationship to God. 
And so number one, the first thing that he experienced or we experience in our worship is awareness. When we worship, we will recognize our inadequacy in our relationship in the sight of God. The first part of uh, verse 5 says, Then I said, Woe is me. So what does it mean to become spiritually aware of ourselves? Three things. Uh, we first become conscious of our shortcomings. Um, we got to be aware that we don't have to get it right all the time. We got to be right that we're not perfect. Um, I don't know if anybody out here is a perfectionist, but I am. I am a perfectionist. And a lot of times I feel that being a perfectionist means it can keep you from doing things because you don't feel like you can do them well. You feel like you can't um, execute this because you're not going to get it exactly right. And it keeps you from trying new things. Um, it'll keep you because fear grips you and, and you feel like you can't get it right. Maybe you feel like you have to be perfect to be used by God. I don't know if anybody's ever felt like that. I know I have. Um, but if God used people in the Bible that are messed up or they didn't have the gift that we may consider uh, better than all, he can use you too. Moses, we know he was a murderer, but he also had a speech impediment. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words, so... He starts making excuses. I've never been, and I'm not now. And so he's already cursing himself pretty much, saying, I'm never going to be good at speaking. I I'm not doing this. You've asked the wrong person. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. And then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? What about David? He was an adulterer, and he even had Bathsheba's husband killed while he was trying to uh, cover up what he had done, but God still forgave him. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. Then David confessed to Nathan. Nathan was a prophet sent by the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. What about Paul? He used to kill Christians. Right? And then he was radically changed and he ended up writing 13 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. Pretty amazing to show you that you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have a perfect background. You don't have to pass those background checks to be used by God unless you're in Judah Kids. Come on now. But, but hey, you get, you get where I'm going. You get where I'm going. You don't have to be spotless. Right? You can be used by God because a lot of the times when we're used is when we're open and when we share our story. Uh, with people that we work with. I talked about this on Wednesday night. With people that we work with, they need to hear your story. Your story happened to you for a reason. You're not perfect for a reason. It's to help other people come to know God. Can I get some water? I'm sorry. I forgot to bring it up here. Thank you. Um, the next thing we'll experience when we become aware of our sin is the conviction of our sin. We will experience a sense of responsibility. Our capacity to blame others for our failure is enormous. Um, I don't know if you guys know anybody that has just got all the excuses in the world as to the reason it ain't my fault. Um, and to me, there's nothing worse. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. This will be to the part where you say, turn to your neighbor and tell them, if it wasn't for you, I'd be the best-looking person in here. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, so we experience a sense of responsibility. Uh, I used to work with a guy, and um, I used to, I work at Coca-Cola, you know, we pick tickets, you know, to send out to um, customers and everything like that. Well, we were checking pallets, and it seems like every time this guy had an excuse for why he had a mistake on his pallet. I said, hey, man, you need to come fix this. He's like, oh, well, uh, that was in the wrong spot, and I didn't get that because uh, such and such didn't pull it down for me. I said, okay, will you please go fix it now? Well, the next thing comes up, checking his next pallet. Hey, I need you to fix this. He's like, well, the paper said something else. I'm like, no, the paper still says this right here because it's not going to change, but it seems elementary, but he was making excuses, shifting the blame onto other people because he didn't want to accept responsibility for his mistake, and I feel like we can do that sometimes as well. And so... In the light of excuses, I wanted to share some because I thought that excuses really make me laugh anyways. Um, and so I, I saw a few. Uh, I can't do cross country today because I hurt my finger. It's like, what does that got to do with running? <laughs> Working as an apartment manager, I've heard every excuse for why the rent is late. But the most creative excuse of all was this. I only had half the rent, so I went up to the casino to try to double my money. <laughs> or lastly, my coworker on why he was late I Q-tipped my ears last night and went too far in my left ear. My alarm was on the left side of my head, and I didn't hear it until now. He was fired shortly after. And so I know these weren't sins, but when we worship, we become more fully aware of what may be holding us back. Is it excuses? And um, we have to do something about it. So what excuses have you been making? Uh, what are your convictions? Because when we worship, we experience a conviction of sin as well and that should bring us closer to God and so we have to stop making excuses for sin and we have to take responsibility we have to acknowledge that we've sinned and we have to repent Psalm chapter 32 verse 5 says finally I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt I said to myself I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me all my guilt is gone I used to hide my guilt um, a lot of times, um, I, was, I used to lie, I used to cheat, I used to do all this other kind of stuff, and I was so worried that somebody was going to find out, that somebody, my wife, I uh, used to hide things on my phone, and you know, I was constantly in a state of worry, and, and like I said, in guilt for just doing the wrong things, and I was just worried that somebody would find out. I hope that you haven't done that. The third thing under the awareness is we're going to experience spiritual remorse. We experience a sense of remorse. We must sense a brokenness over the damage that our sin has brought in our relationship with God. And so when, we, when Jesus shows up in our worship, we experience wor um, excuse me, awareness. And secondly, we have evaluation. We will have to examine ourselves differently when Jesus shows up in our worship. The second part of verse 5 says, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And the word undone means to come apart. Like his, he felt like he was coming apart. Um, sometimes we just have to look at ourselves and honestly, like really look at who I am. Look at yourself in the mirror and understand what the actual issue is. Is it gambling? Is it lust? Is it pride? Is it envy? Here's one that people don't talk about. Is it gossip? Is it addiction? I personally don't like being around people who just gossip, gossip, gossip. I can't stand it. it for me, 
And they're just like, what did you think about it? I'm just like, uh, I don't know. I, I don't even pay attention. I really don't care. Like, I'm trying to shut it down because people don't realize that that is bondage as well. That's sin. So what made Isaiah feel like he was coming apart? He became spiritually aware because of what he saw, and he evaluated who he really was. First, the sight of the, the, and the sound of the seraphim, and second, the vision of the Lord. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he knew what kind of man he was. As poorly as he compared to the seraphim, there was nothing in relation to how he compared to the Lord. So this vision, or this actual experience of the throne of God, did not immediately make Isaiah feel good, like we may think it should have. He didn't feel good. The more clearly he saw the Lord, the more clearly he saw how bad his state was. And for the first time in his life, Isaiah saw himself against the backdrop of God's glory and his holiness. And when this occurred, he cried out, I am. So you notice the two dimensions of a self-examination, comparison and confession. Our evaluation of ourselves truly depends on the object with which we compare ourselves to. We get caught up in comparing ourselves to others uh, a lot of the times, even in church. Uh, our gifts, our talents. Um, I can't pray as good as such and such can. I can't sing like, like Vince can. And I can't preach like Pastor Glenn, you know, so I must not be called to preach. Or I must not be called to, you know, you can fill in the blank for yourself, but we compare ourselves to other people that we were never created to be. And all God wants is our best. He just wants our best. He made you just like he wanted, right? You're a one of one. You're the only one ever created like you. Even though we may have some of the same gifts, we do them in our own lane, and we do it to bring God glory. And nobody can do it like you can if you just do it in your lane. You have everything you need to fulfill the call on your life. So we, like Isaiah, can make four different comparisons when we're evaluating um, our, our spiritual progress. First, I don't know if anybody's ever said this, but I'm not as bad as I used to be. At least, at least I'm better than I used to be. Or we might say, well, at least I'm not as bad as he or she is. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I know nobody's ever said that in here. I'm not as bad as that person. You know, we get caught up doing that, and we're judging them. Isaiah had judged others, even pronouncing woes uh, upon them. In chapter 5, verses 20 through 22, he said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicated drink. And then thirdly, we can say, I'm not as good as the angels, but honestly, um, when he said, I'm a man of unclean lips, he was comparing himself with the angels who cried, holy, holy, holy. And he knew that he could not make that announcement with a clear conscience. Yeah. The last thing we need to say is, I'm nothing in comparison to God. Mm. Isaiah saw God on a high and lofty throne. Yeah. And no doubt that vision clarified the vast difference between him or us and God. Yeah. Yeah. And then we experience confession. We must agree with God's evaluation of our lives and honestly admit our failures. I don't know why it seems like nobody truly, I don't know about here, but truly wants to be honest with the things that they struggle with or what they've made a mistake in. Today, the church of the living God 
Fear is honest confession. But true transformation can't come if we aren't truly honest with ourselves. You know, I was only healed, set free, and delivered when I became fully honest with myself, which made it real. You know, it isn't real until you say it out loud, right? It isn't real until you finally look at yourself and say, man, I really have a problem right now, um, which made it for no excuses. Okay, and then I was honest with God, the one who set me free, and I was honest with my wife because that brought accountability for me. But Isaiah reminds us when we stand in the, present, the presence of the absolute and holy God, we must be honest. And so I feel like sometimes that we can try to justify our sin to ourselves. We can try to make it sound right. And we, can, we can push down how we're feeling. And we can push down that unction of the Holy Spirit that says, no, you shouldn't do that until we eventually become numb to the unction of the Holy Spirit because we just push it down so much. We must call sin by its proper name. Isaiah declares, I'm a man of unclean lips. So, why did Isaiah refer to the lips? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. By nature, our lips are full of flattery and false intent. Psalm 12, verse 2 says, With flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. By nature, our lips lie, and they're proud. Psalm 31, verse 18 says, Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. By nature, our lips deceive. Psalm 34, verse 13 says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. By nature, our lips are violent. Psalm chapter 59, verse 7 it says swords are in their lips, and by nature our lips bring death to others. Psalm 140 verse 3 says, The poison of asps, or a venomous serpent, is under their lips. And so Isaiah didn't think for a moment that this was his only sin, but he saw that this was an example of the great and incurable disease in him and his people. The lips are the instrument of praise. The, only, uh, the angels had pure lips and could sing, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah understood that his capacity to praise like the angels depends on his willingness to confess any hindrance to personal godliness. And so when Jesus shows up in our worship, we will experience awareness, evaluation, and then intervention. God will provide the remedy for our restoration. Verse 6 says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. A glowing coal taken from the altar. Our remedy for restoration. The seraphim means the burning ones. And since we can do nothing to remove the stain of sin in our lives, God intervenes. And in response to our confession, so we have to say it, we have to be honest, we have to confess, and here, when we do that, we see two beautiful acts toward us, acts of God. Number one, we see the, blowing, the glowing coal. Excuse me. We see God's mercy towards us. We deserve a fiery judgment, right? Yet God spares us. And we can define mercy as what? God not giving us what we deserve. The second thing is the altar. We see God's grace towards us. And so in 1992, 
a, uh, a Grand Dragon and the Ku Klux Klan made front page news for years. Larry Trapp terrorized a Jewish leader in his community named Michael Weiser, making death threats against him in the synagogue, in his synagogue. Then one day, Larry tore his Nazi flags, destroyed his hate literature, and renounced the KKK. Why? Because when Larry Trapp was dying of a diabetes-related kidney disease and unable to care for himself, guess who came to the rescue? Michael Weiser took him into his home, and he cared for him. He showed me so much love, said Larry Trapp, that I could not help but love him back. And we can do that too, right? We can do that too. Michael Weiser extended mercy and grace to Larry Trapp, a person who definitely didn't deserve any of it from him, but he gave it anyway. And God has done the same for us. In order to extend mercy, God's justice had to be satisfied. Something had to die in our place on the altar. And it reminds us that God paid the ultimate sacrifice or paid the ultimate cost of redemption for us. This, of course, reminds us of God's ultimate sacrifice, his son, Jesus. Jesus died in our place and as God's gift to us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. And we never can. God simply made this provision on our behalf. And we call that grace. So we could define grace as giving us what we don't deserve. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So when Jesus shows up in our worship, we will experience awareness, evaluation, intervention, and finally, we'll experience forgiveness. God will declare our purification. In verse 7, he says, And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. God cancels the debt that we owe him. You know, a sign at a convenience store once read, uh, Check cashing policy. To err or to make a mistake is human. To forgive, $10. You know, it is a funny way to recognize the fact that, when we make, that we make mistakes, but it's also evidence of the way many people think about forgiveness. You got to earn it. You got to pay for it. You don't deserve my forgiveness, right? That's what we do. So this is the opposite of what God does. Since we could not repay it, God cancels the debt. God covers our iniquity, and he sees it no more. Um, so we have two daughters, Aaliyah and Anaya. Aaliyah is... Uh, 11 years old, and Anaya is eight and a half. Uh, the other day, Aaliyah wasn't feeling well, and I went to pick her up from school. And, uh, you know, we just kind of went out and did a couple of things, came back and waited in car line. We had about 30 minutes left. And she says, Dad, you know, she started asking me all these questions about, um, you know, the Lord and, you know, forgiving sin and salvation, experiencing God. And, and she said, what if you ask God for forgiveness, but then you feel like you don't mean it? And she was like, does he still forgive you? I reassured her. I said, if, if you're feeling this, your heart's in the right place. I was like, you know, God knows your heart. You're, you know, she was amazed when I told her. I said, you know, God forgives all of our sin if we would just admit it, if we would confess it, if we would be honest. And I said, you know, he cast it as far as the east is from the west. 
You know, he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. And she said, he really forgets? She said, God forgets? And she was just blown away. And I was like, yeah, like he really does. And, and so Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Hebrews 10, 17 says, then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And in Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. God cleanses the stain, the stain of shame and sin. You know, God removes the obstacles to fellowship with him, and in so doing, he gives us peace, and our guilt is gone. Isaiah 1.18, uh, Chris Ann, you can come to the piano, please, and thank you. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says, Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. God consumes our lives. We see this aspect in the cleansing in the life of Moses at Mount Sinai. In the presence of God, Moses' face shone with the glory of God. And when he descended to the camp, the people saw Moses even the way Moses didn't see himself. They saw God radiating from a former murderer, all of his past was consumed by the presence of God. Thus, true worship flows from a clean heart. And this is the great work of God. He forgives those who don't deserve it. And I can speak of this because I know firsthand that I don't deserve it. You know, I thought that my whole life I was a Christian because I was raised in a Christian home. I had Christian parents, um, and I just thought, I'm in there, you know, like, I've been taught the right way, um, I, know the, I know what I'm supposed to do, I know when I go to church, uh, I need to do this so that I can sound right, but then my dad left when I was 13 years old, and I was introduced to pornography, and I was addicted to pornography for years, um, and I never saw a way out. My entire life revolved around making a way to sin. My conscience was non-existent. The Holy Spirit didn't feel him because I just pushed it so far out. Making a way to sin is all that consumed my mind. And so obviously my mind was perverted. It came, I didn't see women like I was supposed to anymore. I didn't, I lied about everything. I lied to my parents. I lied to my wife. I, I hid things like I told you earlier. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but you get what I'm saying, I hope. I never saw a way out. I never did, but I was at camp one year, and a man prayed for me. And he said, um, what can I pray with you about? And I told him. That was the first person I'd ever told. I became honest. I said, I'm tired of dealing with this. I, I'm getting eaten from the inside out. I'm dying from the inside out. I'm screaming for help, but it's all inside. Nobody can hear me. Nobody knows I struggle with this. And, and you know what he told me? He had a chance to say, oh, man, that's, that's nasty. You know, but he said, you know what? He said, I dealt with the same thing. Wow. Thank you, Lord. 
okay, because he was honest and he was willing to say, you know what, this was my fault because the church I grew up in, you don't talk about that stuff, right? You don't talk about that. And so now I've been free from pornography for nine years and the bondage that it had on me, the hold that it had on me. And I thought, like I said, 21 years of my life, I was living like I thought I was living for God. We went to a Shabbat Youth Conference one year, and one of my basketball players saw me there, and I was excited to see him. I said, man, what's up? He said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm here with my youth group. And he said, I didn't know you were a Christian. And I was like, thanks. Uh, Sock me right in the stomach. And I vowed, I said, nobody will ever be able to meet me again and say that they didn't know I was a Christian. So that was my changing. That was my turning point. I received God's grace. I received his mercy. I received his forgiveness. And you can experience the same if you'll truly worship God. If you'll truly become honest with yourself. If you'll truly admit your faults. If you love him with your whole heart, with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. You don't have to be perfect to experience him. And you must be aware of that. Remember to evaluate and confess. Confess your sins. Remember that. Remember that God will provide the remedy for your restoration, his intervention. And finally, God will forgive you, and he will declare your purification. And so maybe you feel like you're not good enough. I felt like that. I feel like that even today. Maybe you feel like you're too messed up. Maybe you feel like, I really got to be perfect to be used by God. Or maybe you feel like, I've got too bad of a past. I used to, I used to say things like, well, my testimony is not as good as somebody who I heard and they were addicted to drugs and they were an atheist for 22 years. And I used to compare myself, my testimony. But you know what? This is my story. This is what God did in me. And if it doesn't resonate with you, then great. And if it does, great. I can help. God can help. There's people here that can help. There's people here that struggle or have struggled with what you may be going through even right now. You may feel dirty, unclean, unworthy. I'm telling you, God can change you. And I'm standing here telling you how he truly transformed me. And he set me free. But it was all through honest worship. So will you truly worship him with everything today? Um, we're going to ask the prayer team to come up. And if you feel like any of these things that I've talked about, uh, you've got that just pounding in your chest, feeling like it's about to pop out. Will you please come? We've got people up here that will love to pray for you. I promise you. There's no judgment. There's no judgment. We all have stuff. We've all got a past. There's nothing to be ashamed of. And you know what? Maybe you may be thinking, well, I want to go up there, but I don't want my wife or I don't want my husband to ask why I went because then I'll have to be honest. Will you please not let that be the reason you don't come? Because that's exactly what the enemy wants to keep you bound. He wants to make you think, well, for me, I thought if I tell my wife, I was like, man, we're, she's going to get divorced. We've only been married less than a year. I was like, there's no way. 
you know, it's, it's not that bad. And what I would ask from the other side is if somebody does, if your spouse comes to you to be honest with you, receive it with grace and mercy. Please. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is alive and that it's active. I thank you that you can pick people up out of their mess. You can set them free. You can purify them, God, and then you can use them to bring glory to your name. I thank you for the message um, that you've given to your people today. Lord, I ask, I hope that they heard your words. I trust that they heard your words and not mine. Lord, as I was speaking to the ears, I know that you were speaking to their hearts, God, and I just... I ask, Lord, that you would draw your people right now that may need to experience you in a new way, a different way. And Lord, give them boldness and give them courage to step out. Step out in faith and just believe that you can set them free, that you can heal them, that you can purify them, Lord. I thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.